Up next, Biz 503, the Portland-centric podcast for startups and small businesses. We believe it, we live it, and there's something about Brand Portland that has taken a meteoric rise in our world. Welcome to Biz 503, the Portland startup and small business podcast from Portland Radio Project. I'm Dave Barcos, founder of The Bridge Incubator in Vancouver, Washington, here with Andy Gierich, digital managing editor of Portland Business Journal. Hey, Dave. Uh, so half of any successful creative venture is the business of selling it. It's one thing to create art or music, and it's quite another to get your work into the hands of the people who want to pay for it. Today on Biz 503, we're talking to three marketing experts who can help musicians and artists to get from create to sell. Joshua Klein is the Director of Marketing and Development at M2P Marketing, LLC. How's it going, Josh? Good. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. And Dan Bozik is the president and owner of Bozik Digital LLC. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. And Gigi Rosenberg is an artist coach, presentation coach, and the editor of Professional Artist Magazine. Gigi, thanks for being here. Great to be here. Joshua, a lot of musicians and artists are small clients. I'd like to start there with you. What kind of unique uh, needs do smaller clients have? Yeah, I would say one of the main things is getting maximum impact for a very limited budget oftentimes. A lot of small businesses that are just starting up usually have a pretty limited budget, so they really need to have a, a maximum impact on whatever efforts they're putting out there, especially whatever finances they're putting out there. And then another challenge would be um, on the onset developing their brand. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I think, um, you know, I've always heard it's a segment of who you know and how to kind of cultivate those. Um, do you find that networking and those smaller events are really the way to help get to be known? I mean, yes, absolutely. You know, knowing kind of your niche and who who you're trying to attract as an artist, you know, and then seeking out those kinds of venues and places and events um, to go out and, and do that networking, putting yourself out there. You know, hopefully your personality is somewhat prone to it. Um, if not, maybe a little extra practice. Yeah. Do you take into account their goals and kind of their target audience, the people that they're trying to reach when you're working with them about the direction they want to take? Absolutely. Like that's paramount. In terms of the, the goals and, and target audience, you want to set the stage for how and where to market for themselves. Who is their niche? You know, if they're um, a musician, they probably have a pretty solid idea of that if they have a certain style and maybe genre or cross genre that they take on. Um, if you're an artist, it can maybe be a little bit more challenging to try and define that um, as a sculptor, painter, whatever. But but the, even then, it's still important to try and set that goal of who your target is and then begin to cultivate those people by going to those places, essentially. Mm -hmm. and, and do you have like a formal way of like ascertaining their goals? I mean, do you do like a survey or something like that? How do you figure out what exactly it is that they want? As a marketing agency, really, that's about a sit down conversation, looking at, you know, who they are, what they do, and what their goals are, what they want to try and achieve, who they want, you know, what's the style? I mean, it really follows a similar principle to what you would do with a traditional business, right? Who's the target market? Um, and that's a, a sit down. I don't personally, we don't have a formal form that identifies that, that lays that out. It's more a conversation. Yeah. Very individual to each one, it would seem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would say especially in the artist world. Yeah. What do a lot of your artists uh, come in and feel like success looks like for them? Oh, gosh. I would say for a smaller artist, um, you know, 
again, that kind of goes back to the goals. I would say probably achieving certain things like getting um, getting into a gallery, having a show, selling, <laughs> selling, selling pieces. If you're a musician, getting, you know, getting booked, setting goals of how many bookings you might want to have. Yeah, those are our landmarks that would kind of prove some level of success. I mean, I think the ultimate is that you move from being small to being medium sized in terms of your business and scope of who you're reaching and what you're reaching. I was just going to say, it seems like a lot of people have uh, ideas about being a huge recognized success. And it seems like that's kind of a long road from early, early stage to just kind of hit that big stage really mm -hmm. quickly. So you work with them on setting us up some uh, medium range goals. Yeah, that would be the idea. Putting a foundation in place to help sustain growth is really important. So what I would say is, you know, for them, because it's very limited budget, there may be limited what an actual advertising agency could do for you other than recommend some tools. And for them, it would be important not to spread too thin. Going back to that maximum impact, right, limited budget, you know, you're spending a little bit of money, you want to make sure you've set those goals in the target and you're spending that money into that target, uh, which social media can be highly impactful for and very helpful for, right, because it lets you kind of define that group. Mm -hmm. And so by the time people get to you, like, where are they generally in their career? Are you getting <laughs> people at the very beginning or are they people who've had a few gigs and they might have label interests? Like, you know, talking musicians wise. I mean, I would say that that probably runs the gamut. I think most people have some level of, they have some background, right? They've already started building out a portfolio and or a book of music or they've got a band together and they've done some stuff. And they need some ideas to help propel that. So, I mean, yeah, but it kind of runs the gamut. I think it was really interesting because you mentioned, uh, you know, setting a solid foundation because I think a lot of artists are not business people. Right. And that's one of those things when you talk about a foundation, it's the being able to set up a repeat ability to find new bookings and also practice your art and craft. Mm -hmm. So do you work with them on the majority on the, on the business side to set those foundations or... Say, you know, make sure you're recording five new songs a week to yeah. have new content. There, I mean, it would all depend on the artists and who they are. Um, I wouldn't be pushing them on their craft. I'd be um, looking to inform and consult and, and help them on our craft, which is, you know, digital marketing and advertising and helping them sustain. But, you know, if there was one piece of advice, it would be database, database, database. <laughs> like that is the ultimate for any small business. And that includes artists and musicians, you know, cultivating your following, you know, and understanding the importance of that, right? Like being consistent with that from early on. Yeah. For a new artist that's coming to you, what would be, what could they do that would make your job easier in coming to you? That's a good question. Um, I would say trusting the process, right? Um, being willing to listen to those pieces that we're talking about and how to cultivate that following and, and the tools that can be used and sort of uh, trusting that, allowing us to become part of that creative process of of how they identify themselves as a brand and whatnot, learning from them and then saying, okay, here's our plan and trusting that to move forward through the next three, six, you know, 12 months to begin to see that result. Thanks a lot, Joshua. That was amazing. After a quick break, Andy talks to Dan Bozick about marketing for musicians. 
Support for Biz503 comes from Premium Websites, offering website and social media marketing for startups and small businesses. For more, go to premiumwebsites.net. Welcome back to Biz503. I'm Andy Giegrich, and in this segment, Dan Bozik joins us from Bozik Digital LLC. I'm about to pepper him with some questions about how musicians can get the most out of their marketing. So, Dan, yeah, tell me, I mean, how far does a band or a musician's talent get them? I mean, does it get them? Is it everything? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's literally almost nothing. And I hate to say it that way because it sounds brutal, but uh, there's so much of anything that happens in the music business about being in the right place at the right time. And a lot of what you do is prepare for when you're in that place or time. Um, There's some tremendously talented, tremendously hardworking people in the music business that, uh, that don't achieve anything resembling success, but you know, they're artists and they do what they do and, and God bless them for it. I mean, it is so much luck. I mean, what right, would you say precisely. the success rate is? Is it like less than like half of 1% probably? I mean, uh, <laughs> in my experience, what I would base that on is like the number of songs ever recorded compared to the number of songs that have ever received any sort of radio airplay. It's, you know, a tenth of a percent. It's astronomically low. Yeah. It, it, it is like acting. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, so right. so uh, how much actual marketing work should a musician be prepared to do? And like, uh, well, t- t- talk about that. Then I think I have a pretty, pretty uh, I follow. mean, that depends on the time you're willing to commit, the money that you have to commit to getting somebody to do it for you. And I guess your ability to do it, you know, how skilled you are at communicating with audiences over multiple mediums. Uh, I mean, there's any number of ways that you can make that calculation. Yeah, it, it sounds like by the time they, they get to you guys, actually all of our panelists, they do have a little bit of money that they're ready to commit to it. Right, and they've already accumulated some level of attention capital. I mean, they have some audience following them already. They have some people familiar with their names. They have, you know, people that come out to the shows. I mean, they've already developed somewhat of a following. Yeah, and like, is there like a baseline as to when they should actually start doing it? Yeah, I mean, it really depends, again, on what your level of involvement, what you want it to be. Mm. Um, you know, if you want to spend that time, if you have that time to spend or if you have the skills to do it, then, you know, there's really not that much of a need for you to hire somebody until it gets to the point where you're doing so much on a regular basis that it takes up more time than then you can sacrifice uh, at the expense of, of creating your art. Right, right. This is a, the, what we call the literal money question. I mm-hmm. mean, it's a super competitive space. So how can musicians actually find the money to get started other, other than, you know, <laughs> like you know, play, play, play in the tonic lounge for, you know, 30 bucks, you know, on a, on a Wednesday night. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, there's any number of ways, especially if you've got loyal, devoted followers, people that are really good friends of the band or, or you as an artist. Look for um, angels. Basically. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, that's like, what like, Kickstarter, GoFundMe is for. I mean, there's any number of ways to do it, but you should be getting people through the doors of the shows. You, I mean, you should be generating some level of income that you can commit to whatever level of marketing that you plan to do. Yeah, no, that totally follows. And you mentioned Kickstarter. I mean, is it necessarily easier with social media and, and social outlets to find money these days? I mean, I'm thinking, you know, I mean, I, it's uh, decades ago, we didn't have, you right. know, <laughs> GoFundMe or whatever. Uh, I mean, it's considerably easier. Yeah. I mean, when you've got the, when you've got the means of communication to get, you know, thousands of people at a time, instead of having to go door to door and call all your friends and, and send out postcards. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's quite a bit of an advantage. Right. And then probably being able to, to give the music like right away, like, sure. like, like digitally as opposed to waiting to press the vinyl. Although, you know, I've, I've bought a few albums on Kickstarter and it's, 
pretty much worth it. I mean, every time it's worth the wait. Every one of these artists has performed a valuable service. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got to admit, sometimes I'd prefer just going to a record store and buy it. But, you know, you, when, when it comes in the mail, it is, it is pretty fun. So. But, it, but it's kind of cool because when people do that, you know, they can provide, uh, you know, regular updates during the creative process. I mean, it actually gets people even closer to the band when, when they can follow something like that. So if you do it right, I mean, it's creating even more of a, of a captive audience. Yeah, most definitely. Um, how much does a, a band's marketing need to change as they, you know, get more followers or get more fans or whatever, you know? It shouldn't have to change that much. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, as long as you're mindful of, you know, the fact that you're possibly communicating to that many more people uh, in that many more places, you know, it shouldn't change that much because the band's voice is the band's voice. I mean, you're still the same people communicating to the, the community that you've developed. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it would be more about strategies and techniques more than the actual message itself. Mm -hmm. So, and you have a radio background, right? Correct. Yeah. So how has the role of radio changed in this whole thing? I mean, <laughs> is it still? <laughs> well, I mean, radio used to be the gatekeeper. Uh, radio used to be able to develop artists and used to be able to control uh, the flow of music that came out that allowed them to develop. And now with digital distribution, it's just a fire hose. There's really less development possible. There's less capital available to develop artists. So um, it's just tougher. It's certainly a challenge. And I mean, because you could basically, I shouldn't be singing this in Portland radio project, but, but I mean, you, you can forego it in, in a lot of ways. I mean, commercial radio. Say, it's a smaller you know. part of your strategy. It's a less crucial part of your strategy. It's still helpful. I mean, you're still reaching a lot of people that you wouldn't otherwise, but yeah, there are just a lot of other avenues at your disposal to be able to do that. Yeah. Good deal. And so like, um, what have you seen some of the more successful bands you've worked with? I mean, how have they exactly, how they... They got their names out there and, and made themselves known. It's a matter of just uh, kind of being open. The things that I've seen work are just menial updates <laughs> about just things that are going on around the band or around the band members' lives and just letting people in, making them feel like they're a friend, like, like they're like part they're of the community. people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. seems to I – mean, connecting with people seems to be a big part of the strategy that works. Yeah, like what they lack in mystique they uh, make up <laughs> for in a, a personal uh, likability or something like that. Can you give me any examples of like some of the uh, uh, musicians and bands you've worked with? A lot of the stuff that I'm working with right now is on the tribute scene. So these are people that are way less concerned with creating music and entirely more concerned with being amazing performers. So that's what they're concentrating all their efforts on, uh, be that emulating, you know, Robert Plant or Bon Scott or uh, just being really good at capturing, you know, specific shows. So right. it's really about, you know, presenting the right parts of a performance and knowing how people are going to relate that to the band they're tributing. So it's, um, you know, I get to have a lot of fun with this because the songs are all a known quantity. And again, we're just trying to reconnect people with songs that they already know and they already love through a new community. Yeah, absolutely. And emulating Bon Scott's voice, not his life <laughs> style. Yeah, I mean, you know, so what happens backstage? <laughs> That's great stuff. So uh, when we come back, Dave's going to talk to artist coach Gigi Rosenberg about what it takes to move their creations. Support for Biz 503 comes from premium websites, offering website and social media marketing for startups and small businesses. For more, go to premiumwebsites.net. Welcome back to Biz 503. In this segment, we're talking to Gigi Rosenberg. She's an artist coach and the editor of Professional Artist Magazine. Gigi, when people come to you, when artists come to you, what position are they in? What do they generally need and, and where do you start with them? 
So sometimes they come to me with a very specific project, like they have a grant proposal due next week and they need help getting it done and writing it. Other times they come to me and they just don't know what to do next in terms of how to get their work out in the world. And they also have way too many projects. And they're also, even though they love being an artist, they're just not getting the important stuff done. And they kind of need me to be their boss and they need some accountability and they need to know that they're paying me and they're going to get a certain thing done in two weeks and, you know, that they don't want to call me and say, oh my God, I didn't do that. So they can be coming for specific things or just to kind of get their whole business life in order. Yeah. Artists tend to be, uh, have a lot of irons in the fire all at once. That's I weird. think every artist who comes to me has, to, I mean, the first assignment I give them is to make a list of all their projects and then when they come in, we just slash it. So they have just a couple, yeah. like of the next ones. Yeah. You say that they've kind of exhausted some of their resources. I know one of the important resources that we've had in town are, are some of the local uh, brick and mortar places. The Real Mother Goose was a downtown store closed the middle of or the end of last year. Has closings like that or the lack of brick and mortar places affected where people can promote themselves? I don't think so. I mean, in a way, in terms of visual artists, there are kind of two kinds of artists. One is the more crafty artist who I would imagine be the one who would be selling at a Mother Goose. And then there's the more fine artist whose work you might see at a gallery or a museum or something like that. So in terms of the fine artist, I don't think the closing of Mother Goose mattered at all. And, you know, with both kinds of artists, there's so many more markets now than just the brick and mortar. I mean, there's art fairs and there's online, you know, portfolios and there's Instagram and there's just so many other ways of finding people who want your art really at all the levels, the most cheapest crafty thing to the most expensive fine art thing. Yeah. I'm always intrigued by uh, new services that are coming up online. You mentioned, um, or Etsy is another one that comes to mind. Are those creating a, a viable substitute? Are people able to build a solid business out of some of those services? Oh, yeah. And, you know, Etsy isn't the only one. There's a bunch. And I think it just depends on what you make and how you like meeting your people, your audience, you know, because there are some people that do very well in person at like an art fair or they want a gallery or and that's really what we talk about when an artist first comes in is, first of all, what do they like to do in terms of marketing? Marketing is like weeding. You know what I mean? It's never going to be done. There's always one more weed to pull. So if you can match up what you like to do, we're going to find something that you like to do. And if you like to do it, then you're going to do it. And that's really the most important thing. So, and then just figuring out who are my people? Who am I looking for? And there are some people that don't want to do fairs. They want to do something else. So it's finding that right match because there's no one... There's no thing that everybody has to do. Everybody needs to find who their audience is and how they want to meet them because there's so many options. I love that you mentioned finding your people. Uh, in the business world, we say find a target market. I haven't found anybody that wants to be a target, but we do find people that resonate and associate with us. And I love that you talk about that. You mentioned early on um, coming together with, with the need for grant writing. Apart from selling uh, their work, are there other kinds of income that are available to artists, like you said, as in grant writing? Yeah. So the way artists can make money, and, and when I do work with them, we talk about their different income streams. They can write grants, although, you know, I wrote the artist guide to grant writing. So in terms of artist grants, they're for small amounts of money. I mean, an individual artist grant for a project like the Regional Arts and Culture Council might be for six or $7,000. 
you know, a professional development grant that an artist could use to go attend a conference might be for $1,500 or $2,000. But that could be great. And also it looks great on your resume to have that. But you definitely can't live on grants because like the MacArthur Fellowship, which is the genius grant, only a handful of us get them. So grants is one way. A lot of artists also teach. And, you know, some people have jobs where they're doing something completely different and they're an artist, not as even, I don't even want to say as a hobby, but they're a professional artist who's making money a different way. So there's all kinds of ways to do that. But teaching grants uh, are just like two examples of other ways to make money. Mm-hmm. And uh, hey, Gigi, Andy Giegert here again. Um, so uh, like along those lines, I work for the Business Journal and we've been talking a lot about, are there a lot of opportunities for artists to get into like office lobbies and whatnot and, you know, either just have their work hanging there, maybe get some money out of that or have their work hang there and, and, and sell it. Is that something that uh, that's going on, hopefully, <laughs> in your world? So let's see, office lobbies. You know, if somebody says to me they want to be in an office lobby, what we would do is probably think about what do you mean exactly? Are you talking about, for example, like being in, in an institution, like the hospitals now have a lot more art than they did when... That's a really good example. Yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking like buildings in downtown, like going in like just their big expanses and and big uh, opportunities for massive installations. You try to think of, okay, so where do you see your work? So it could be hospitals, it could be hotels. Some people feel like they just want to be in galleries. So then it's figuring out, okay, who's putting that art in that hospital? Let's find out. And how are they curating that? And how are they selecting artists? So there's, you know, it just depends on where you want to be. And then we figure out how to get on, you know, that train. That's great. You mentioned uh, some other avenues that people are exploring, and I'm wondering how much of a big deal networking is, right? Getting out with other artists that are doing the same thing. Um, Up in Vancouver, we've got a a Vancouver night market that comes in on the first Friday of every month. And the association that those uh, individual artists that are coming in, it seems amazing. Is that a huge piece of what you would encourage artists to do? Yeah, networking is really key. And a lot of times artists will say, you know, I got to be in the studio. And you got to get out of the studio because chances are you're spending plenty of time in the studio or else you wouldn't be at the level you're at. And it's meeting other artists. It's also meeting your audience out in the world. And the one thing is, you know, the reason people buy art or listen to music or go to a dance performance is because it makes them feel more connected to life, however they define that. And if they can know the artist and see the artist, like the first thing I do when I look at an artist's website is I say, how come your picture isn't on your about page? I want to see the person I'm buying the work from because that makes me feel like I'm more of a connection with the work. So getting out and meeting people is super important. But again, you know, we also work on, well, what if you're shy? So That's what exactly do do? what I was going to ask you. Yeah. I mean, what if they're like, uh, I imagine artists are like. <laughs> so what I noticed is I went to a gigantic meeting the other day where I walked in. I didn't know a soul. And I just thought, OK, I'm going to do an experiment. Now, I'm not super shy, but, you know, I'm a little awkward getting to a place where I don't know anybody. And what I noticed were people in these intense conversations and then a whole bunch of people standing around looking at their phones. So I went up to one of the people looking at their phone and I said, do you have any idea where we're supposed to hang up our coats? And she and I ended up talking for like 15 minutes, have now found each other on LinkedIn and we're about to meet at some other meeting together. So that's a little tip that now I'm going to give people. Ask somebody who's standing alone a question. 
And, you know, when you stand alone, I'm going to tell the people, and if you find yourself standing alone, try to have a slight little smile on your face because everyone looks so grim who is standing there, you know, so that you look a little friendlier. Yeah. So we work on little things like that. So getting through the door, going in the room, et cetera. Yeah, that's great. I had a horrible time networking when I first started and I had a group of three friends and we would say it's our wingman tribe. We all went out together. If we were going, it just we had somebody comfortable to to have a conversation with and we kind of nudged each other to go talk to other individuals too. You know, I have actually a great tip to give you if you go to a meeting with a friend. Have the friend introduce you. Because they can say, oh, this is Gigi Rosenberg, and she's an artist coach, and she's the editor, you know, in, in a way that you could never introduce yourself that way. But the friend can pile on all these great things, and they're like, wow, that's who you are? So it, actually sounds, it sounds like another business opportunity, like Wingman Inc. or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. A lot of artists, when they're looking at different places to go, if they're not used to doing it, um, is there something that they should avoid looking at? Is there something that they should, you know, generally look, uh, figure that there's not in their best interest? I think what they need to do is think about what they want and not pursue avenues that are not in alignment with their core mission and their core values. If somebody doesn't want to sell at an art fair, don't look at art fairs. I think sometimes that can happen is you can get desperate and you can say, okay, I'll look at everything. But the truth is you're not going to be happy if you're doing something that doesn't really align with the art you make, who you are, what you like doing and where your audience is. So I don't think there's any really wrong thing to look at, except first you have to really be clear on what you want and then, you know, know what's important to pursue. Yeah, I think that's really important. I, I think, is there a great piece of advice or some guidance you'd give people that kind of think that the artist that feels like success is just out of their reach, like they feel like they're just not getting there? You know what? The trouble with being an artist is you have to put up with a lot of rejection day in and day out. And so I feel like that. I, you know, I'm a writer and a performer. I feel like that sometimes every day. Like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? I'm never going to get there. And I think the one skill you need is just persistence, that you're going to keep going and you're going to keep getting up. And that's why you need to build your life so that you're not kind of waiting for the big break, because not everyone's going to get the big break. And in the end, you need to be okay with that. Like, I'm going to work as hard as I can, but the life I have now is still a life worth living. Yeah. I hear uh, a lot of people, uh, when they're doing a startup or a small business, they always feel like they're doing something wrong. And, and a lot of times it's not that they're doing something wrong. It's just that they're not doing enough of what they are doing. And the persistence to keep going is, is a huge piece of it. Gigi, thank you so much. Uh, I would go on forever, but I think we're going to run short of time here. So, um, and Joshua, Dan, thank you for being here as well. Yeah, of course. Great to be here. That was Gigi Rosenberg, artist coach, presentation coach, and the editor of Professional Artist Magazine. Dan Bozick, the president and owner of Bozick Digital LLC. And at the top of the show, we spoke with Joshua Klein, director of marketing and development for M2P Marketing LLC. And Biz 503 is produced by Kobe Hutzler with Carl Lucky and edited by Daniel Lin. It's a production of Portland Radio Project and a big thanks to PRP podcast coordinator, Nastasia Voisin. I'm Andy Giegrich. And I'm Dave Barkos. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.